MSW Media. Hey, this is tennis legend Andy Roddick, and you're listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn, a guy who's definitely been served more times than I have. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. Well, this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. That's right. That's right. All right. Shake it up, baby. Shake it up. Welcome to what we're drinking. Coming up on the program, you just heard him in the promo. Tennis legend Andy Roddick will be joining us. Uh, He's got a new Tennessee bourbon out that he partnered up with the Manning brothers, Eli and Peyton of pro football fame. Also going to be with us, Marianne Eves, the distinguished whiskey maker who is making Sweeten's Cove, Tennessee bourbon. After that interview, I'm going to tell you a little bit later in the show about some new adult beverages, or some adult beverages, not all new, that you might want to check out. And I'm going to be doing a little reading from the book of my friend Eric Alpern, who was just on the previous episode. He's got a book called Unvarnished. There's a little snippet of that I want to read to you that I just really enjoyed. But first... Some interesting booze news came across the transit. I'd like to tell you about it. I, uh, like many of you, I read the Bangor Daily News, the Bangor, of course, being in Maine. And recently in the Bangor Daily News, they ran an article with the headline, How Wild Blueberry Wine Could Save Maine's Iconic Struggling Agricultural Product. Apparently the wild blueberry is in trouble. According to the report, Maine is the United States' only producer of wild blueberries. And the industry has struggled over the past few years with dwindling harvest, disease, falling prices, and increased international competition. There have been a number of attempts to creatively address the issue, like emphasizing wild blueberries as a health superfood or incorporating them into savory value-added products. But nothing stuck so far. The latest effort is showing some promise, though. Wild blueberry wine. Not only do growers see the benefit to their profit margins from this product, but expert vintners believe that wild blueberries could put Maine on the map because it's got this, it's a region has got this fruit that's so unique, it merits its own appellation like the grapes of Champagne centuries before it. Don't laugh. The wild blueberry emerged 10,000 years ago as the ice sheet pulled off Maine and the Atlantic Ocean left behind all sorts of sediment, fossilized creatures, and plant material. That's exactly what happened once upon a time in the Champagne region. This was according to Michael Terrian, one of the founders of Blue A in Scarborough, Maine. And they're making a wild blueberry bubbly. They started doing that in 2015, and this wine is causing quite a stir. So here's the deal with fruit wines and By fruit, I'm talking about fruits other than grapes, grapes fruit. They've been around since European settlers first arrived here in North America, and traditionally they've been produced by adding lots of sugar, 
both to jack up the alcohol and to sweeten the wine. All that sugar, though, essentially masks the complexity and character of whatever fruit it is you're using. But recently, however, according to wine enthusiasts, serious vintners inspired by American history and modern maker trends have begun to ferment local fruit beyond typical wine grapes in dry styles. And what you're getting as a result are balanced, thoughtful wines that might surprise traditional wine lovers. Okay, you got uh, traditional method blueberry bubbles to fermented apples that taste a lot like Chardonnay. There's a new era of fruit wines dawning. Of course, uh, Grapes are different from, say, peaches or apples or blueberries. Red grapes like Cabernet Sauvignon are triple threats. They've got acid, sugar, and tannin. That's what you need to make great ripe wines. Uh, Other fruits are not so naturally suited for this. But enterprising winemakers are finding ways to make more traditional bottlings with fruits like pears and cherries. I discovered a lot of this when I drove around the country doing my book, American Wine. I, I encountered a lot of these types of wine. Much of it has to do with necessity. And you'll know there's been a big push towards uh, you know, eating and drinking locally. And there are plenty of areas in this country that aren't suited for vineyards, but they're ideal for, say, orchards. Hell, in Hawaii, they're even making wine from pineapple. That's right. Maui wine started making sparkling pineapple in 1974, and they were just shits and giggles. But today, those pineapple sparkling wines are getting a lot of love from wine publications, consumers. Hell, I had a wine in Montana made from chokeberries. Chokeberries. And yes, it nearly killed me, but I think if we give them some time, those Montana winemakers are going to figure that out too. So I put that out there for you. I'm going to I'm going to stay on top of this story. I'm going to work on getting some fruit wines that we can try. I will report back to you as I do on this trend. As always, I invite you to follow me at the Imbiber on Instagram and Twitter. Comments, questions, suggestions, snarky remarks, whatever you want to do, just. Get on there, follow me, and please, you know, if you haven't subscribed, I know you're listening, but please subscribe to the podcast. You know, another thing that's really, really helpful, guys, if you like this show, is spread the word, put it on your Facebook page, tell people you listen to, especially we have a good guest on, and today we've got great ones with Andy Roddick and Marianne Eves. Just put it out there, help us out, help, you know, because I can can hire a marketing agency, I hire a PR firm, and I do that sometimes, but nothing beats word of mouth from people that are really listening to and enjoying the show. With that said, why don't we uh, why don't we go uh, right to the interview now, huh? Do you guys want to go to the interview? Okay, all right, all right, all right. Let's do it. Joining me right now are a member of the International Tennis Hall of Fame and perhaps, perhaps, future member of the Bourbon Hall of Fame, here to talk about their latest venture. Sweetens Cove, Tennessee Bourbon. Please give a warm what we're drinking. Welcome to Andy Roddick and Marianne Eves. Hi. Hey, Dan. Thanks hey, for having Dan. us. You know, I was wondering when I do that, I, it's a little thing I do, give the warm welcome. I'm wondering if anybody actually claps. Like, you know, someone's listening to the show while walking their dog or sitting on the beach and they just break out into applause. I hope so. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, sure my, I'm sure if my mom listens, she'll be applauding 
in, in a very embarrassing manner. <laughs> Great. Well, speaking of applauding, I got to tell you, I get to drink, I get to taste a lot of whiskey in the course of what I do, and this is some good juice right here. I'm really, really enjoying it, and I, I guess I want to kind of jump right right in and, and get the story of Sweeten's Cove, how this came to be, how you two came into each other's orbit and your other partners. Just tell us a little bit about the brand. Yeah, so I guess I'll, I'll jump in because it was uh, it was a night that we were, uh, I was with uh, our partner, Mark Rivers. Um, it was just the two of us, and we were kind of thinking through, uh, we used to call them field trips, where we'd kind of just spend a couple of days going and seeing different types of things, properties, potential business ideas. And uh, he was kind of obsessed with this, uh, this nine-hole public golf course in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, which, you know, I wasn't really the, the, the kind of business venture that I saw myself going into. Um, but it's like, man, you just, you gotta, you gotta go to this place. It has a culture. It has a feel. It has, it's kind of a counterculture as far as the golf world goes. And, and so, uh, we're on site. And then there, there was this, there was this tradition always before you teed off first group of the day would have a shot of whiskey and they would kind of leave a bottle behind for the groups that followed, you know, as a show of fellowship, a show of uh, camaraderie. And we just thought it was a really cool tradition. Now, who knows the quality of what was being left? And by the end of the day, it becomes a hodgepodge and you bake it with, you know, 100 degree heat and everything. So needless to say, there it wasn't a, a real great drinking experience. You know, it's definitely more for the fellowship. But, um, you know, and then the idea starts, well, what if we what if the story's so strong? What if we do our own? And what if there's, you know, some crossover between the story of this under underdog uh, nine hole public golf course in, in Tennessee? outside of Chattanooga and can we actually do this? And one of the, uh, the, the, the big holes early in that conversation was, you know, we don't, we don't really know anything about it. <laughs> so that seems to be, you know, it was, it, it was, uh, something that we were a little stressed about. And so, uh, Mark kind of got looking and, and, and we, we were just lucky to, to come across, uh, you know, Marianne's bio. We said, we have to meet this incredible woman who has all this knowledge that we don't in this space that, we're potentially getting into. And so, uh, you know, it just so happens Marianne was born up the road from, uh, from where the, this, this mythical golf course, uh, lays. And, um, you know, we, we, we said, listen, we'd, we'd love to handle the, 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 the kind of build out. We just want to get you the resources you need to, uh, to do what you do. And, and so that's how, uh, that's how we, we kind of came across Marianne and how we were blessed with her talents. Well, Marianne, you, you came up, so you graduated from university of Louisville and then you scored an internship under Chris Morris at, at Woodford Reserve, right? Uh, Chris at, at Brown Foreman, who is, you know, a legend in the business is a good guy to learn from, right? And uh, what did, what were, you know, some of the takeaways from your time spent with Chris? Oh my gosh. I feel like the six years that I spent working for Brown Foreman is actually equal to like 18 years of, of industry experience because I was, you know, not, not only working under a legend in, in Chris Morris, but also working on the entire Brown Foreman portfolio. I was a, a process research engineer. So they were sh- shipping me all over the world to do different, you know, process optimization or product innovation, different kind of uh, projects. So I just got this tremendous amount of experience in such a condensed amount of time. It was, I mean, there, there's the <laughs> probably three times the length of this podcast worth of, of takeaways and in, in, um, in education that, that I could share with you guys. But, you know, it's just, I, I think the most important thing for me being an engineer by uh, education was to learn to kind of chill a little bit. Like, um, we don't have to 
to convert every last gram of of uh, starch into to alcohol because sometimes you you actually trade a little bit of the efficiency, which is kind of like red alarm alert in my brain as an engineer, but you you trade off some of that efficiency and, and yield for the flavors that are made in its place. So it was the art of it that I really took away from from my time at Brown Foreman. And then you go from there over to uh, Castle and Key. Castle and Key was a brand that was was sort of resurrected it was uh, it, it, in 2014, it took over the old Taylor Distillery, and you spent four years there, and you became Kentucky's first female bourbon master distiller, which is quite an honor. I mean, let's face it, this is an industry that has been dominated by men, and you have been a trailblazer, and you're really seeing in just a very short period of time a big shift in just the last five or six years an emergence of really strong female figures in the industry. And how does that make you feel to be one of the, you know, the first one in Kentucky? <laughs> well, it was long overdue in my opinion, but I'm really, really proud to to have um, the opportunity to be a face and lead the way for, for other incredible women that are, are, are rising stars in this industry. Well, and then now, then you go over with these guys and this is this is brand new. I, I was I was supposed to come down. I think you guys were doing some event somewhere, and I don't know if you've heard, but there's been a terrible pandemic that struck, and and it really messed up my travel plans to come hang out with you guys. Where where were we going to do that? Was it like in Nashville or something? Something going to happen. The launch back. the the original launch date, if that's what. Uh, yeah, back in March, March twenty March twenty sixth in Nashville. So, on top of our uh, core group. Uh, not knowing what we were doing and, and, you know, leaning on Marianne a little too hard. We had to launch a uh, kind of consumer facing retail brand during a pandemic. So that was a, that was, that was uh, something else that was, uh, that was interesting. It's, it's amazing how it's, how it's kind of all worked. Would have, would have been some of the chat. I mean, I've, unfortunately I've, I've had to speak. Well, I don't know if I say unfortunately, but I've, I've spoken to a number of brands. It seemed like a lot of people, targeted and i guess this is the the result of just the the spirits industry boom that's been going on so many brands have launched in 2020 and i've had a number of them on my show i'm curious how have you guys you've had to sort of oh, we lost somebody did we lose marianne potentially but I'll, I'll, I can take you can handle this for now or she'll get back on the how have you handled the challenges andy of launching a brand when you don't get to go to the bars, you don't have to get to go on site and, and during what is a very difficult time? Well, first and foremost, it's tough just because you you get into this interesting, there's such a culture of, you know, tasting and sharing and, you know, talking about different tastes. And and so that was something that I was really looking forward to as a, as a, as a newbie um, in, in this, in this space. Um, but also, you know, we were leaning heavily on, hotel culture, bar culture, how are we going to launch? You know, we want to get people in the same room, which areas, which cities do we want to make our mark in? So, you know, the, the months that you spend strategizing and, and, and kind of drilling down those decisions are kind of swept out from under you. And it was, I think, 10 days before I remember talking to Mark a bunch. It was, you know, two weeks before it's like, I think we can still do this. It'll be safe enough. And then all of a sudden, like four days later, it's like, nope. And he goes, well, let's just wait and see how it goes. And so we're a month in six weeks in. And I said, you know, man, I, if if we kind of do the wait and see thing, I don't I don't know that this is going to get to anyone. You know, in a year maybe. You know, who knows how long it is. So, um, you know, mm -hmm. luckily we have uh, 
you know, some assets where we were able to get the word out, uh, you know, Peyton Manning uh, selling a product in, in Tennessee and kind of being the shoulders behind uh, a lot of the, the marketing, that wasn't an issue. That was a huge advantage that, that we had and, and, and Marianne being willing to do Zoom tastings and, and, and kind of, uh, you know, uh, at least talk through the profile of, of what she had done. And, um, you know, I, I think it was the culture of, of our team, our original, you know, uh, six founders, Marianne, and then our, our, our kind of 40 core investors all saying, what can we do? You know, next person up, let's let's start knocking down, um, you know, whether it's whether it's Zoom calls, whether it's uh, getting the distributors and getting it on a first name basis. And let's this is a great time for us to create relationships outside of the bar culture. And, uh, you know, another thing that we got very lucky with is we decided to go with a very low uh, volume play on, on this first run, I think around 14,000 bottles. Um, you know, had we had we been one of the brands that tried to go big and mainstream early, as opposed to having a focus on quality and kind of holding back, uh, you know, kind of the, the, the mainstream coverage, only launching in a couple states, that probably uh, saved us a lot of headaches that we, we, we didn't try to go too, uh, too far, too fast. We had a, we had a, a, you know, a wise voice in Marianne saying, let's get this right before we do it fast. And, uh, that was a, that was a huge advantage, uh, you know, for adjusting, adjusting during COVID. Yeah. I talked to Mark the other day, we had a, a really nice conversation and he, you know, it, it didn't even seem that he didn't seem at all that this was daunting and maybe, you know, maybe that's having, and, and I think probably a part of this, I would imagine having partners like yourself and I think Eli's involved too. Right. And yeah. Peyton is, there's gotta be a bit of that athlete, that athletic mindset in there is like, you don't, there's no, no athlete goes, Oh, we're having some adversity. So fuck it. We're out of here. You got to just figure out a way to get it done. <laughs> right. Well, I, Mark, it, it's less daunting now to him that it, that it worked. I remember many, many daunting conversations between the two of us <laughs> when, it was, when it was still ongoing. So I think he's, uh, he's cool as a cool as a cucumber now that we have a product that sells as soon as it hits the, the, the shelves. But before that, I'm not sure that it was, I'm not sure that it was that way. That's great. Now, Marianne, I also wanted to, you know, when we were talking about you, I mean, just want to throw out a couple other things in addition to being the first female ma- uh, bourbon master distiller since prohibition whiskey advocate meant you were part of the next generation thing. They did Forbes honored you 2015 food and drink 30 under 30 list. Uh, what else you were recognized? by wine enthusiasts as one of the America's top 40 under 40 tastemakers. So I, this is, I don't, I'm just going to surprise you here. You can add another feather to your cap because are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. What we're drinking with Dan Dunn is anointing you the badassest, assist whiskey maker of 2020. Congratulations. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> You got it. Yeah, that's the first going on the bio. <laughs> first annual. It's just given this award out, and it's not like I just made it up before I got on the air either. But no, I, I tell you, I, I was when I started sipping this, and we're recording this on a Monday. Okay, it's afternoon out here in California. Normally, I'm doing yoga and then I'm meditating on the beach. But because I am committed to my craft, I have to drink the whiskey. So I wasn't. I'm going to be honest. I'm not always enthusiastic about pouring some whiskey. In the, in the middle of the afternoon on Monday. But as soon as I took the first sip of this, I went, oh yeah, this is great. <laughs> I'm not making yoga today. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about this, this particular whiskey that I'm drinking right now. This is batch two. You did five batches. Andy mentioned 14,000 bottles, which is a minuscule uh, yield really, but, uh, but it's a high, it's, this is a premium brand. So, and you did five batches across those 14,000 bottles. 
Precisely. Yeah. So um, typically, uh, just to give you an idea, every year that the barrel ages, you lose about 3% of the contents. So the the longer you let it age, the more at risk you are for the barrel to be completely empty. Luckily, not one of these barrels were empty, but they were pretty concentrated, (laughs) which is a great thing because it develops all those different flavors. So 13 years old, there were 100 barrels and, and I had the fun job of tasting through every single one. Um, making some pretty detailed notes because I, I wanted to know the nuances of these barrels, what flavors were there and what it, what was possible to create um, for, for consumers. But then also, you know, trying to find the, the really, really special ones. So we did actually keep a, a few back to release the single barrels later in the year. But what you've got in batch two, I, I think is like the homage to the age of, of this bourbon. So it's even more of those cooperage notes, the the toasted oak, the molasses, those yeah. deep kind of rich, sweet flavors, but you're still getting a full palate experience. It's not just, you know, heat at the front and then it dies on the finish. You're going to get that long, warm, creamy finish on it too. What's the ABV on this? Uh, that's around 103, I think 103.7, the batch two. Yeah, and this is this is cast strength. So a lot of people are surprised to hear that it lost proof over maturation. Uh, for some reason, Tennessee just tends to do that. Um, but it, it's uh, no, no water has been been added to it, and its original uh, barrel entry proof was only one fifteen. So what I what I'm really enjoying too about this is that it's got a uh, the finish. So we kind of. I got a lot right here in the mid palate. I got a little bit of, you know, spice going on, right? And then it settled down for me for a couple of, you know, maybe a minute or so. And then the finish, I got a lot of sweetness on the finish. Delicious. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you're enjoying it. Yeah, I'm going to drop an ice cube in here now and see what happens to it. And, you know, I've I told people before on the show, if you, you know, especially when you got something that's got a, a fairly high alcohol content in it, I always recommend, you know, drinking it neat. But then if you put a little water in there, maybe a little bit of spray, or if you want to put an ice cube in there, what it does is it, it sort of opens it up, takes a little bit of the, the, uh, a little bit of that oomph out of the alcohol and it allows you to pick up some other flavors that you, nuances of that whiskey that you might not have recognized before. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, 100%. I think, yes. you know, especially, nice. especially people are surprised <laughs> with adding a little bit of water. I was so worried <laughs> you know, you're going to go, people... you don't know what the hell you're talking about, man. <laughs> Jesus Christ. No, I, I, I do. I think that, that people are surprised when you add a little bit of water, it does, it opens it up instead of diluting it and, and cutting the flavor. So it's actually, um, it, it, so water and ethanol, it's kind of a nerdy thing, but it, it creates heat. It's called an exothermic reaction in chemistry. So it's it's bringing out those volatile um, aroma and flavor uh, chemicals into the rim of your glass. So you're, you're able to perceive more when you add a little bit of water. And then the ice cube, you know, that, that definitely cools the palate, um, relieves the, the burn from the alcohol. And, and, and absolutely, as it dilutes over time, you're going to just taste different things. You know, especially when you're talking about a Tennessee bourbon, you got to be able to drink it with an ice cube because a lot, you know, you're drinking down there. I wanted, The very first person that I, I'm very fortunate, long before I ever really got into this, about 20, over 20 years ago, the great uh, Booker No from, from the Beam family came to Kentucky. I was a newspaper columnist and I got assigned to meet up with him to, and this guy, Jim Kerkuris, who I'm sure you know from the bourbon trail in Kentucky and, and Booker came in to taste me bourbon. I didn't know anything about whiskey. And I, I was asking Booker, I said, 
I was always worried, and I think a lot of people out there listening are worried mm-hmm. that you're going to screw it up somehow. Like you, there's a wrong way to drink it. And Booker was the first guy to tell me. He says, "Oh yeah, you talk like you got that mumble. Like yeah, you know, you're going to drink it any way you damn want to." He says, "My my mother used to have it with a ginger ale, and uh, and and it was just." <laughs> and he said, "He goes any way you want to drink it. That's the way you do it." Would you Would you agree? And Andy, how about you? How do you like to drink your Sweden's Cove? I've been drinking it straight, but I, it's it's that story is reminiscent of, and I, Marianne's heard me tell this story too many times. But like when you enter someone who is uh, someone who is extremely talented, when you enter their arena and you are an absolute novice, it is a completely intimidating process. So when when Marianne was on site uh, doing her whole blending process. Uh, Mark, uh, me, and uh, a, another one of our uh, founder partners, Drew Holcomb, who's a who's a music artist, uh, went to to gonna go check it out. And Marion is in her arena; she's like the gladiator of blending. And I'm walking, I'm like, just don't say anything stupid, stay out of her way. Just, you know. But I had like all these curious questions, and finally at the end, I, I was like, raised my hand like I was in school. It's like. Very classy, something. Just kind of, but it is. It is a completely intimidating thing to go into something new with someone who obviously uh, has forgotten more than you'll ever know in this space. And uh, you know, it, it's. I completely relate to the story you just told. Marianne, have you gotten any tennis uh, pointers from Andy? <laughs> not yet. Not, not yet. yet. No. I. Uh... I would, I would probably be really shy to even touch a a, a racket. I'm I, me and you both. Not even, we we don't need to go there. Yeah. <laughs> now, one of the things when I was uh, when I was speaking with Mark, you know, and this is, I think this is a, an area that people can get sensitive about is this idea that oh, here comes another celebrity brand. Yeah. You know, here comes. I can I can tell you this. In the next two weeks, just in the next two weeks alone, I've got Pitbull. I'm interviewing. I've got Jason Aldean, Lars Ulrich from Metallica, all these guys. How do you get the message across, Andy, that, first of all, I mean, obviously putting Marianne out in front, I think, is a great idea because her bona fides speak for themselves. But how do you combat maybe the notion that, oh, Peyton and Andy and Eli got bored and they needed somewhere to throw their money? And how do you get the message across that this is legit, man? What we're doing is some serious whiskey. Well, we hope that our, our, our general kind of uh, product walkout would would re- represent that, right? So, again, we didn't just put out our, – our, our priority wasn't to sell as many bottles as possible in the first year, um, you know, which is something we, we might have been able to do. I, I, I don't know, but, um, you know, our, our, our focus was on, on uh, the quality of the product, especially, you know, entering uh, in the Tennessee bourbon space. We knew that we had to get it right. And to what you're saying, we were very aware that the, the, the people involved in this brand could be a double-edged sword, right? Uh, Peyton, there's a lot of advantages from working with uh, the Manning brothers and, and, and especially in, 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 in the Tennessee market. Um, and, and so we knew that the product would define this brand. Um, and we were very aware of that it said we can always grow, but we can't go back and win credibility uh, after the fact. And so uh, that was something that we were very, very uh, conscious of. I think we were very uh, uh, almost insecure about about putting out something um, that wouldn't pass the, uh, the the smell and taste test. Um, and you know, hopefully that the fact that we just put out fourteen thousand bottles brought in someone with the expertise of uh, of Marianne. Who uh, you know, we we kind of we my involvement with this business has almost zero to do with conversations with product. Beyond, we have to make something 
uh, fantastic. It's it, it's all on the other side. And so we we each kind of pitch in what we know when we know it. But um, we we wanted uh, to to be on your podcast, having you taste it, saying you know what this is this is a really good good drink, um, and uh, this is good juice. And, and that was the goal. You know, we 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 were insanely aware of, of, of kind of the, uh, the blowback if we put out something, uh, that was average or terrible. It was a good idea. Cause I mean, I am one of the world's leading experts. I'm just going to say that it's <laughs> <laughs> waiting for the ceiling to fall down on me. No, kidding. Hey, listen, you know, I, I playboy and I was a lead guy for the Rob report for a long time. I've tasted a lot of, I've tasted a lot of, a lot of spirits. And I got to tell you, this is right up there. Now I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna, anybody that's listening right now. First of all, it's very limited supply. It's $200 a bottle. This is not cheap. Okay. But this is the thing. And this is, I've always tell people, this is when you go price point wise, you know, you're going to find a lot of whiskeys in the 50 to a hundred dollar range. And there's going to be varying degrees of quality in there. There are, and we know this and Marianne, you'll back me up. There are a lot of spirits that get priced high for reasons that have nothing to do with what's in the bottle. And I'll, and I will call that out. I've had, you know, especially at Rob report, because when I used to be there, I could have the greatest whiskey that I've ever had. And if I told my editor it was $20, she'd say, no, we can't write about it, you know, because mm. people that read Rabaport aren't going to buy that, you know? So this one is worth the money. It really is. Well, I mean, that, 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 that's good to hear because that, that was one of our uh, big price points. And we said, listen, let's make as good of a product as we can make. And uh, as far as the business metrics, we have to charge uh, what we're going to need to, to get to the, the, the next year. Right. We, 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 don't want to, you know, be, we didn't want to go to VC. We wanted to raise from friends who are passionate about the, uh, about the project. Um, you know, so it, it, it is nice to hear that. And, uh, you know, that the, uh, the $200 price point is, is only a risk if you're really worried about what you're putting in it. Exactly. So I, I don't want to keep you guys too much longer, but Andy, I did want to touch, we didn't, you know, we talked a lot about Marianne's credentials and obviously my impeccable credentials, but you, uh, sir, in 20, 2003, you won the U S open just started this week. And I just got to bring up 17 years ago, you defeated Juan Carlos Ferreira to win the U S open and become the world's top ranked player in the process. You reached four other Grand Slam finals, uh, Wimbledon three times, U.S. Open in 2006. You lost all of those to Roger Federer. So have you ever considered calling up Roger now and saying, hey, Roger, how's your bourbon brand doing? Oh, that's right. (laughs) Well, (laughs) You don't have one. Yeah. Well, I would do that. And then he would go, yeah, why don't you look at, he, he would say, I'm, I'm a year older than you. And I'm pretty sure I topped the, uh, the Forbes list of, uh, richest athletes for the year, uh, 19 into 20. So I'm, I'm not sure that I have, uh, uh, much over Roger in our former life or in anything he does from, uh, from this point forward. But, um, it, it, I, I will tell you, uh, you know, the guy ruined my life for a decade. I should have terrible, terrible, terrible things to say about him. If he was in your living room and you were sharing a drink, you would love him. He is, uh, as salt of the earth as someone who is an absolute icon in global sports can be. Um, I, I don't like losing, but, uh, you know, I'm, 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 if it had to be someone's wake, you hope it would be someone like Roger. Now you're also, you're married, your wife, uh, married to Brooklyn Decker. Is she a whiskey drinker? Well, she, it's funny because we kind of entered this process as, as, uh, as novices together. So, you know, now it's like, oh, well, I got batch two. This one's one of those three, you know, we, we start spouting off the things. She's like, let me taste it. Let me taste it. Let me see what the differences are. So we've, we've kind of, we've kind of gotten into our, uh, our own little groove uh, with it, which is kind of, you know, you venture out into 
some other things too. So I, I think that we've uh, we've had fun with the with the process together. And and one final thing for you, you and uh, I, wa- I was watching when I was doing some research. I went back and I watched that fantastic Sports Center commercial with Stuart Scott, the late Stuart Scott, featuring you because you and Alex Rodriguez both have the moniker A Rod. Yeah, Stu, what's up? Yeah, I, uh, I saw the eleven o'clock show. Yeah. And and you didn't call me A Rod. Was I supposed to? Stu, you you know that's my nickname. Did did Alex Rodriguez put you up to this? Alex, who? A Rod. It's a great commercial, but uh, what would you say would be more difficult for the average person to do? Return one of your serves or strike out. I'm not saying hit a pitch, but strike out Alex Rodriguez. What would you say would be more difficult? Man. Um, so the only reason I go to serve is that, okay, the, the, the baseball, at least it comes to you or you have a, like a defined space to operate in. With a serve, you know, people focus on the speed, but you actually have to cover like four or five feet on each side of you as far as direction. And so it's kind of dead upon arrival uh, if you don't, if, if you don't actually play the sport because it comes uh, as fast, you know, it's 135 some odd, 40 some odd, but you actually have to cover. Well, you went a hundred, you hit it 155 miles an hour once you had the record. One, one time, but what law of averages will bring it down, but we'll, uh, you actually have to cover space also, which I think would make that maybe a little bit more difficult. If you hit a hundred serves at me, Real serves, like you'd be certain. Could I return one of them? Do you think, even just like maybe by accident, like off my well, head or something? Fair, to be fair, I'm now worse than your average club player. But uh, back when I actually uh, when I actually played tennis, uh, I, I I without knowing uh, your tennis background, um, I, I do know that you excel in every other thing that you do. But your tennis background, I'm not sure what it is. If there is no tennis background, then I would say that you would return zero. Okay, I got it. And you're probably right about that. (laughs) Um, I I really want to thank you guys for for joining me. uh, and, And Sweetens Cove, I, I wish you the best with Sweet and Cove's Tennessee bourbon. I, I think it's a fantastic new product, right? New addition to the adult beverage uh, world. And uh, Andy Roddick, Marianne Eves, uh, any, any fun, anywhere people can follow you on the social media, anything like that, anything big coming up? Well, they, they should definitely keep their eyes out for the, the next release of Sweetens Cove and these single barrels that are coming later in the year. I'm really excited about the product that we're developing for, for next year, too. It's something that I haven't seen done in American whiskey before. So um, just something you know innovative. And, and these guys aren't, aren't afraid to, to do something, try something that, that has a really great story. So and yeah, I, I think so we, we're, we're Sweet and Scope Spirits is on on, on Twitter. Uh, you know, I, I I post a lot from uh, at Andy Roddick original name. Um, and uh, you know, thank we do, we just appreciate you uh, giving us the time of day uh, to talk to us today. Well, I, I really appreciate it as well. So thanks a lot, guys, and uh, we'll we'll talk when the next uh, next round comes around. Okay. All right. Thank <laughs> you, Dan. Sure. How's it? It's Neil Everett from ESPN. You're listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn and. What we're not drinking is White Claw, no matter what you may have heard. Folks, I've never admitted this on the show before, but I'm a guy. Yeah, it's true. And as a guy, I'm here to tell you that so much of our identity is wrapped up in our hair. That's why when we get into our 20s and 30s and start noticing the first signs of hair loss, it definitely feels like panic time. Because let's face it, no guy is ever ready to go bald. Thankfully, now there's Keeps, the simple and easy way to keep your hair. 
You used to have to go to the doctor's office for your hair loss prescription. Now, thanks to Keeps, you can visit a doctor online and get hair loss medication delivered right to your home. Keeps treatments typically take between four to six months to see results, so it's important to act fast. The sooner you start using Keeps, the more hair you'll save. Treatments start at just $10 per month. Plus, for a limited time, you can get your first month free. That's right, free. How? Well, if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash drinking. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash drinking to receive your first month of treatment for free. Take care of your hair, and your hair will take care of you. In the fall of 2016, a company called Fermented Sciences was founded in Ojai, California, with the intent to disrupt the adult beverage industry through the creation of a revolutionary platform of great-tasting botanical brews with functional benefits. So they built a laboratory in a hundred-year-old stone wine cellar and began to dive deep into the ancient alchemy of fermentation. But just one year later, a massive wildfire threatened to literally burn the whole operation to the ground. For three days, the whole community banded together, fight the inferno. On the third night, the folks from Fermented Sciences stood on the precipice of disaster as a wall of fire tore through the canyon right at them. And as the flames towered above and swirling embers filled the sky, they faced not only the complete destruction of their dream, but potentially their lives. Uh, but fortune shined upon them and the winds turned and they were left with a deep appreciation for the power of nature and a profound sense of gratitude for one other and life itself. It's pretty inspiring stuff, right? So out of this transformational experience came the uh, inspiration for the Flying Embers name and a renewed commitment to create beverages that illuminate and celebrate the experience of life, life. Today, they got a brewery in Ventura, California, where they're producing really tasty hard kombucha and hard seltzer. I think it's really tasty uh, hard kombucha. I don't like kombucha at all, so I have not tried it. But a friend of mine who is a kombucha authority tried it on my behalf and loves this stuff. Swears by Flying Embers hard kombucha. Now, I do like hard seltzer, and I really like what they got going on there. Uh, they've got this uh, collection called the Fruit and Flora Botanical Collection, which has three different, so two cans each of three different kinds of, of hard seltzer. There's a clementine hibiscus, black cherry rose, and passionate elderflower. And my God, is it good stuff. Just really, really crisp and refreshing only 95 calories a can, which is fantastic. Same goes calorie-wise with the Sweet and Heat Tropical Collection. That's a watermelon chili, a guava jalapeno, and a pineapple cayenne. Uh, all about 5% ABV. That's alcohol by volume. USDA organic, live probiotic, zero sugar, zero carbs, keto-friendly, gluten-free, and vegan. And they're shipping all over the place now. So uh, also, they, they've just announced they're donating a, a, a sales to support Cal, a percentage of sales to support the California fire crisis. OK, There's a lot of fires going on out here. So your money, if you buy this, going to help you out. If you buy flying uh, embers, you're going to help out the much needed the firefighters out here. 
go to their site, flyingembers.com. I also just tried a delicious tequila called Calafino. Calafino. Cali, C-A-L-I-F-I-N-O. It's headquartered in San Diego, produced in the Arandas region of Jalisco. That's in Mexico. Jalisco is the state where almost all of the tequila in the world is produced. This uh, Calafino Añejo just took double gold at the New York International Spirits Competition. Not only double gold, it was nominated as the Añejo Tequila of the Year there. And I was excited to try it when I got the, when they sent me the press release about that. And when I did it, I got to tell you, it lived up to the hype. This is a lush and creamy añejo that's got great almond flavor, some hints of vanilla, some of the smoke on there as well. Uh, you know, I, that one really jumped out at me as it did, you know, the judges in New York. But I enjoyed all of the expressions. Uh, they have an extra añejo, a blanco, a reposado. It's really good tequila, folks. I'm not going to steer you wrong on that. Go to Califino, that's C-A-L-I-F-I-N-O dot com. I also have some wines that I want to put on your radar as well. These are Cabernet Sauvignon uh, from kind of from around the world. Okay, so some of the ones that I tried that I really enjoyed, uh, one is um, from Argentina. It's called Animal. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that, but it's spelled animal. It's an organic Cabernet Sauvignon, the 2016. It's from the Uco Valley of Mendoza, Mendoza in Argentina. This is a just an intense, aromatic expression, spicy notes, strawberry jam. It's very fruity and delicate. Uh, it's 100% organic certified. Man, it's a it's a really really just easy drinking. But I, by that, but I mean it's also complex. Cabernet Sauvignon, Animal Organic Cabernet Sauvignon 2016. It's it's about $23 a bottle. I also had one from Australia called Three Bridges Cabernet Sauvignon, a 2017. That's from the Barossa Valley in South Australia. Three Bridges is an intense, deep red color with, you know, it's got this crimson edge. It's a very fragrant wine. It gets mulberry fruit, black currant, uh, cedar on the nose. The palate's complex, full-bodied, and it's it's smooth too. We've got ripe fruit, uh, just a handful of spices, with vanilla and oak, and well balanced. Like a really mouth-filling wine, I would say. Three Bridges Cabernet Sauvignon, twenty seventeen, and that's twenty-five dollars a bottle. Now we're going to move over to South Africa, uh, Leveland, L I E V L A N D Cabernet Sauvignon, twenty seven. That's This is a combination of high-altitude, cooler Stellenbosch vineyards and then the dryland warm-climate Parlevent vines, which are lower uh, altitude. It's a very balanced wine, got a, an abundance of fruit in it. The Stellenbosch fruit adds structure and elegance to the wine, while the grapes from the Parl add riper, dark fruit and richness. And that's $19 a bottle. If you want to go cheaper, MAN, M-A-N, all caps, MAN Family Wines, Cabernet Sauvignon 2018. This is also from South Africa. This is a typical South African Cabernet. It's got a lovely mix of New World fruitness, fruitiness and Old World elegance. And it's a bold, juicy wine. It's got some mint on the nose, some pencil shaving, cigar box, dark cherry flavor, cassis, red currant. Only $12 
a bottle. $12 a bottle. You can't beat it. What else? Man, another, oh, another one that I had from South Africa. It's Stark Conde. Stark, S-T-A-R-K dash Conde, like Conde Nast. Three Pines Cabernet Sauvignon 2016. This is one of South Africa's most awarded Cabernets. It's got fine tannic structure to it. Really, you know, uh, expressive floral notes. Three Pines Vineyard is on the best block of Cabernet in the, the vineyard that they have down there. It's a higher elevation block, finely textured, decomposed granite soil that just yields this, again, intensely aromatic wine. It shows violet, cassis, black cherry, Stark Conde, Three Pines, Cabernet Sauvignon, 2016. It's about $45 a bottle. Get it. Get some. Get some. I should put this on my... I don't know where I should put this. I should put it on Instagram. I always say I'm going to do it, and then I don't do it. I apologize. But just pay attention. Just listen, folks. Just listen. You don't want to keep it here at home. I, I did have a couple of good ones. Uh, one Cabernet Sauvignon from our friends at Stag's Leap 2017 Napa Valley Cab. At $60 a bottle, this is a very inviting wine. It's got a bouquet of wild blackberry, uh, black currant fruit, and some floral notes, a little geranium, some violet. Just sm- It's a great smelling wine, you know. On the, on the, no- on the palate, I'm getting uh, warm notes of caramel, cinnamon, cardamom. There's a little black pepper spice that comes up that's coming from the oak in the wine. It's a great fireside sip because who isn't lighting a fire right now it's like a million degrees uh but when the weather cools down so you want to buy this and sit on a little bit it'd be this is the kind of wine you want to have with a steak you know stag's leap winery 2017 napa valley cabernet sauvignon was made for big juicy steak uh also from stag's leap uh they if you want to go lighter they got a i just tried a uh, 2018 napa valley Sauvignon Blanc, which, ooh, man, did I enjoy it. That's $32 a bottle. This is a great wine to transition from summer to fall. It's a lively Sauvignon Blanc, very expressive, vibrant. It's got that classic citrus fruit that you expect, lemongrass, white floral nuances. There's a real depth of flavor there, candied lemon peel, passion fruit, melon, jasmine, jasmine, jasmine. I like saying jasmine. And there's some pepper that lingers on the palate. It's got a really long finish. You can have this with uh, with grilled chicken or fish. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, is it exciting. Uh, guys like it? All right, all right, okay, calm down, please. Please, please, calm down. All right, all right, Jesus. The crowd here goes nuts. All social distance, but um, what else? Uh, I'm going to leave you today. As I mentioned earlier on in the show, I had my my dear friend Eric Alperin, who just opened a bar in Pioneer Town called the Red Dog Saloon. But before that, where he really made his name in the in the bar community was with a, a bar called the Varnish in downtown Los Angeles. And he came out here with his his friend, the late, great Sasha Petrosky of Milk and Honey fame. And so Eric wrote a book called Unvarnished. It's out there now. I'm, I'm just reading it, and it, it's fantastic. I highly recommend it. So I wanted to read you, take you out of here today with a little 
excerpt from from Eric's book, Unvarnished. And here's the here's the bit. Allow me, indulge me, please. It takes six months of pounding the pavement until a combination of luck, destiny, and timing brings the rainmaker of downtown L.A. bar culture to Moza when I'm working. Said Moses, barfly, entrepreneur who owns the Golden Gopher Broadway Bar and Seven Grand, and son of the late, renowned, abstract, cool school painter Ed Moses, pulls up a bar stool and regales me with stories of the burgeoning cocktail scene downtown. His management company, 213 Hospitality, has been championing the neighborhood's escape-from-L.A. vibe, turning defunct historic spaces into dark, sexy places to drink. To said, dirty streets, abandoned corridors, and crumbling Art Deco buildings that block out the sun are the best parts of L.A., and when he hears I come from the Milk and Honey family and that Sasha and I are looking for a bar, he thinks we may be of similar minds. Two weeks after our auspicious encounter, Sed invites me to join him and six other L.A. bar hounds for a weekend of R&D in San Francisco, which includes, but is not limited to, beetroot-infused drinks at Absinthe, Mai Tais at the Slanted Door, crafty cocktails at Bourbon and Branch, and late night falling asleep in my burger burgers at Nopa. As we drive back to SoCal, heads throbbing, Tylenols popping, there's a palpable sense of excitement in the sleep-deprived air. We don't quite know what we're doing or why, or what any of it means, but it feels exciting. In the movie version of the moment, we would all smile slyly at one another in silent acknowledgement that each of us is about to set the city of Los Angeles on fire. But in real life, we're too hungover to do anything beyond suck up all the available electrolytes and keep whoever's driving awake by blasting Zeppelin. The next time Sasha's in L.A., he, said, and I eat bimbap at Suit Bowl Jeep before said shows us a space in the back of Cole's French Dip a restaurant that's been in operation since 1908, which he's recently taken possession of. It's a storage room, and it's dark and windowless and looks, well, like a dark, windowless storage room. But for two New Yorkers looking for a home, it glitters like a jewel, and several emails and phone calls later, the three of us agree to partner up. After all these miles, it happens in a New York minute. That's going to do it for this episode of What We're Drinking. I want to send out many thanks to Andy Roddick, Marianne Eves, Eric Alperin for writing that great book. And of course, I want to thank you, as always, for joining us. Got a bunch of good guests coming up in the very near future. We're going to have Pitbull on this show hopefully we're gonna have snoop dog on this show who else just so many christy brinkley might be joining us i'm throwing out a lot of mites here but i i I got a sneaky suspicion they're all going to make it uh filmmaker pete mcbride is going to be joining us wine maker trey bush is going to be joining us i'm going to do a celebration of uh, american wino six years ago next week is when i set off on the journey to travel around america that would ultimately Yield that book. That's all I got for you, baby. Bye, baby. There I am speaking in tongues.